Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm Richard Harriot, and the uh, chairman of the Oberarak Foundation. And it's my particular pleasure to welcome you all here this evening uh, to this public lecture, this very important public lecture. And of course, an especially warm welcome to our guest speaker. And Ricky will introduce her in a minute or two. The Ovarat Foundation's uh, purpose is to promote education and knowledge in the built environment. And we like to do that, if we can, uh, where there is an emphasis on the interdisciplinary nature of design between architecture and engineering, uh, and of course beyond that to social science and economics. And our relationship with the LSE here is, is a long one, because we were the uh, original funders for the highly successful cities program here alumni from which are now working all over the world making a really big difference in issues of urban design. And we're still involved with the uh, LSE in funding two uh, uh, teaching fellows here on the city's program and of course we're funding uh, this uh, lecture tonight uh, and the series, there are three of them, three public lectures. I'm quite certain that this lecture will fit our purpose of promoting knowledge and education in the built environment. Uh, uh, we're, I'm quite certain we're all looking forward to it and that we'll take something from it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Richard. Um, and thank you to all the trustees of the Over Arab Foundation who supported us for so long and continue to do so. Um, my job is a very happy one to introduce uh, Rit Beriegaard, uh, the former mayor of uh, Copenhagen. As and I said, obviously not very elegantly a moment ago, uh, it's very fortunate she isn't anymore the mayor of Copenhagen because she can come and talk to us. Otherwise, she would have been too busy to do that. So I am absolutely delighted. We have a fan club uh, here of uh, your city. Um, and um, it is uh, many years that we wanted to have you come and speak here. So it's really very, very important that we uh, have you and in a way have you after the event. And I think that's quite interesting because you might be able to reflect on some of the issues that perhaps last year you would have not been able to reflect on so openly. Um, I think, as um, Richard has already said, the fact that the Arab Foundation and LSE Cities uh, ha are very interested in the relationship between infrastructure of cities uh, at many levels, at the levels of the physical design, the transport system, but also those interrelationships between the infrastructure, as we normally talk about it, and the social and the governance side. There really is no other city that I can think of that brings these worlds together in such a strong way. I mean, quite literally, I think, over the last 10, 15 years, the more we study cities here um, at the LSE, the more we realize that there is uh, uh, one way of doing things, and in many ways that's the Copenhagen uh, way. Uh, this statistic that I've heard, which may or may not be right, struck me a number of years ago, that um, Copenhagen as a city, uh, over the last sort of 30 or 40 years, so a very long time scale, 
was able to maintain a high quality of life. People have earned a lot of money. The Danes work well and uh, produce well. But it's also one of the few, if not only, cities that up to a few uh, years ago had at the same time as increasing the GDP per capita actually dropped the amount of energy people use. Now that's an extraordinary and important fact for all of us who are interested in trying to resolve the problems of the world. In other words, the message there is very simple, that wealth, increased wealth, need not go with increased energy consumption. Uh, and that takes an enormous amount of investment in physical infrastructure and social infrastructure and governance. And Ritz really is someone who's cut across many of these levels uh, of governance and most recently, of course, in running uh, Copenhagen. Uh, she was a very, very forceful EU Commissioner for the Environment uh, from in the late 90s, the sort of last five years, uh, where she really provided strong global leadership by bringing the US and Europe together. She was, in fact, uh, present, given her role, a very important role, at the Kyoto negotiations in 97, and was, of course, uh, Mayor of Copenhagen. I think it's called Lord Mayor there, if I'm yeah. correct, um, until December of um, last year, where she was instrumental in actually bringing uh, this COP15 uh, conference of cities there where in many ways you could argue that cities show that they're much better at doing things about the environment than their equivalent nation states. I'm sure we'll hear about that. I just want to uh, say one or two more things about why Copenhagen is important to us before asking Rit to um, describe her vision of the city and the environmental agenda and how important it is. In many ways Copenhagen uh, has really enviable statistics in terms of the issues that uh, we're concerned with. It was one of the first, if not the first, city to have a, a free bicycle sharing scheme and uh, cycle parks around the stations. Even today it has something like 37, 38% of people who actually cycle to work. In London it's still around 2 or 3%, even though in two months' time that might actually increase. Uh, the number of people who use public space as pedestrians but enjoy the public spaces in the city center has actually tripled in the last decades. That is, more people hang out and enjoy the public spaces of the city uh, and use it more. That has meant that more young people, students in particular, have started living in the center and reversed the trend that happens in so many uh, European cities of basically city centers emptying out or becoming really the privilege of people from my age and upwards. Uh, so I think these are all things which are very significant. While she was mayor, a number of important things happened. Just two things to remind us is that a new and wonderfully elegant um, uh, underground system, subway system, has been designed and implemented. And you can actually take your bicycle from the suburbs into the underground system, if you can imagine that, and then get out in the city center and ride to work. There are also car parking, sorry, wrong word, cycle parking spaces right next to uh, the tube stations in the middle of the city, which I must say are designed like uh, the sort of the um, BA first class lounge by comparison to the sort of environments that we have here. And last statistic, which is really quite mind-blowing, is that 96% of all buildings in Copenhagen are heated by a district heating system. In other words, in terms of just setting the standard of uh, uh, efficiency and reducing wastage and uh, resource and improving resource efficiency is really quite extraordinary. Now, uh, what one mayor can do in four years, let's say, is perhaps limited, but it does show uh, that there's a lineage of uh, stewardship uh, in city making, 
of which REIT uh, is a very, very important player, and therefore, can you join me in welcoming her to speak at the LSE on Copenhagen and the environmental issues? Thank you very much. Thank you very much uh, for the night's uh, introduction. I, I think you could almost have uh, told the audience what I would like to tell with all the knowledge you have about uh, Copenhagen. But a very, very warm uh, thank you to the London School of uh, Economics for inviting me here tonight. Since English is not my mother tongue, I will stick to my uh, document uh, here and not just uh, talk because uh, it could give me some difficulties. So I will do that and afterwards I hope that we will have a nice uh, debate. As former Commissioner, Minister and uh, Lord Mayor, I have spoken at many outstanding venues but never before at the uh, LSE. So it is hence a great honor to speak to you tonight and I trust we will have an interesting hour and half together. I understand that uh, the motto of the LSA is Rerum Cognoscere Causes. And just to put it in your own language, to understand the causes of things. This is a good point of departure for a university like LSE, but also for tonight. The things I would like to highlight the causes of are primarily Copenhagen's role as host of the COP15 and the role of cities, some words about the Copenhagen climate plan, and finally a few remarks about the pursuit of a better life quality in cities. I hope you will enjoy it. So let us start by going back exactly one year to June, the 1st of June 2009. Everyone was at that time looking forward to COP15 with a clear expectation that we would get a new binding global climate agreement to substitute the expiring Kyoto Protocol in 2012, which, as already mentioned, I were lucky enough to be able to negotiate together or for the EU. But a year later, we know we had to settle for much less. It was only a political declaration which may and may not play a part for a binding international agreement. But I think it is not on the horizons either for the COP16 in Mexico or COP17 in South Africa. With the UN track clearly on the defensive from the outcome of Copenhagen, we have a couple of options. We can wait for better times, as you know, one can always wait for better times. Or, I think better, look at where the climate actions and concrete solutions to what change are happening and how to proceed. Not surprisingly, I will address the second option, and I would like to refocus from a national to a local view that of the cities, even though you might argue that cities are both national and global. Today, more than half of the world's population is living in the cities, and the number is rising. 
It is hence no, no more normal to live in the city than not. Cities of the world are responsible for about 75% of global greenhouse gas emissions and are some of the biggest polluters in the world. In other words, the cities face huge challenges to clean up their acts. So cities are definitely part of the problems and they need to be part of the solution. My former colleague from tonight's host city, London, Nikki Gavron, has said it very clear and I quote, the fight against climate change will be won or lost in the cities, quote end. Or stated by the Clinton Foundation, and I quote again, cities can play a leadership role in catalyzing global action to address climate change. In addition to being more nimble and willing to take risks than larger government bodies, cities have easy access to their citizens and local businesses, schools and institutions, and therefore the effects of new policies are immediate and meaningful." End quote. But why focus specifically on cities? Why not simply develop generic solutions at national level? The answer is that cities have special environmental concerns that require tailored solution. As an example, the share of energy used for residential and commercial heating in US is about 10%, whereas and we are again talking about U.S. in general, transport takes up 29%. But if instead we look to New York, the figures are quite different because in New York, residential heating and cooling take up almost 80% of the energy consumption and transport only about 10%. So it's very clear that a national solution would hence focus on transport, while Mayor Bloomberg wisely looks at retrofitting of buildings as his main area of concern. And I'm sure that there are a lot more examples to come up with. So city problems require city solutions. Yet cities were up until recently largely ignored as relevant partners in the quest for sustainable climate solutions. At the COP15 in Copenhagen, UN officials and national delegation had a dedicated entrance while the mayors had to queue up together with the NGOs. Not a bad word about the NGOs, but with half the world's population and 75% of emissions under our rules, we should enter the negotiations through the main entrance. That is why we need groups like ECLI and C40. ECLI is the Association of Local Governments for Sustainability, representing more than 1,000 cities from about 68 countries. C40 consists of 40 of the world's leading cities in action 
to cut their CO2 emission. I'm very proud and honored that Copenhagen, during my time as Lord Mayor, has become one of the C40's exemplary sustainable cities. And I'm very thankful to Ken Livingstone and Mayor Bloomberg, who took the initiative to form this body C40 and for arranging meetings in New York and Seoul because it was very instrumental and that meant that mayors know more about each other. To help the cities play the part they must in the climate negotiations, the city of Copenhagen, together with C40 and ECLI, decided to organize a climate summit for mayors parallel to the UN Climate Change Conference. I was very delighted that more than 80 mayors from all over the world decided to participate in this important meeting. New York, London, Tokyo, Rio, Johannesburg, Jakarta, LA, Bombay, and Tehran were among the participants. The global balance was predominant. Mayors from great cities in the north, south, east, and west participated. Cities might be located in different parts of the world, but we face many of the same challenges and goals, and we can in be inspired by each other. So how did the gathering of the many large city mayors at Climate Summit for Mayors contribute to the climate agenda? I believe some of the main conclusions were, and I will just mention four. First of all, it showed that cities were eager to fill the larger role that I have just outlined. And I'm sure that the 80 mayors tried to influence their national delegations. And maybe if they had more influence, we would have had a better result in Copenhagen. Secondly, it showed that despite the problems in the UN track, many of the world's large cities already act. Los Angeles is retrofitting 140,000 of its street lights with lead cluster bulbs. Barcelona has made it compulsory to use solar energy to supply at least 60% of hot running water in new buildings. And London is gearing up to be the electric vehicle capital of Europe. And again, there are many more examples. And what it shows is that cities already act. A third conclusion from the Mayor's Summit shows that many cities would do more if given the legal opportunities. For instance, in Copenhagen, we have lobbied the government for the right to introduce congestion charges and the right to establish environment zones in dense downtown areas where only environmentally friendly cars and trucks should be allowed. I know we share this problem with other cities that many city administrations are not empowered and or resourced by the national governments in order to help combat climate change. Therefore, it is important to work closely together with the government in our home countries to ensure 
that there is a link between our effort in the cities and the policy at or on a national level. And a fourth and final conclusion from the summit is that while city administrations are indeed an important mediator for climate change, it is, at the end of the day, the citizens that matter. For me, one of the most important community voices in the climate change debate is the voices of the million of citizens living in cities all over the world. To acknowledge the role of the citizens, the City Hall Square in Copenhagen was during the COP15 transformed into a city of hope. So we called it Copenhagen Live. The name was taken from the international Copenhagen campaign which sought to raise a public demand for a binding agreement in Copenhagen. In adopting the Copenhagen idea, we wanted to ensure that the COP was not just a meeting behind closed doors in the Bella Center, but an event that engaged and informed the citizens. We wanted the citizens to be part of the solution. Every day during the COP15, Copenhagen was filled with real-life examples of new climate solutions, from, as one of the minor things, solar-heated pancakes, to a Christmas tree lighted by bicycles. And it was a great pleasure to see how eager people were biking to light up the Christmas tree in the dark time in Copenhagen. But there was more serious long-term sustainable solutions as well. Ten cities from the Mayor's Summit were asked to contribute with their best and most innovative solution to the climate challenges for people to come and see. I was pleased that London exhibited one of the new electric police car. An invitation was issued to visitors to experience the challenges and inspirations in the many experience stations. The City Hall Square itself was focusing on the world's climate challenges and the solutions of the future. The Hopen Hagen Live trademark a huge interactive globe lighted up the December darkness, reflecting in ever-changing shades and hues the world's engagement with the climate. On the stage, musicians and speakers gave food for thought to the visitors of Copenhagen Live. We were, on the outset, afraid that a climate fatigue would set in partly because the Hopenhagen line had a rather technical focus and because climate had been a big issue for such a long time in the news. Yet this was certainly not the case. On the contrary, the following evaluation showed that 350,000 people visited Hopenhagen Live in the period and that we could have been even more technical 
and informative. There was lots of interest and eagerness to learn more. This will be remembered for the next time and we hope other cities will learn as well. The main idea behind the Hagen Live was really about involving the citizens. Without them in the equation, we will never succeed with solving the climate issues at hand, binding agreements or not. But as you know, a picture can say more than a thousand words and a video probably even more. So allow me to show you a short video from the Hagen Live and Mayor's Summit before moving to a short overview of Copenhagen's climate plan. challenges, we must walk the talk. 
I would hence like to move on to some of the highlights of the Copenhagen Climate Action Plan. It may at times sound like a sales pitch for Copenhagen, yet the purpose is truly to be informative, so please take it as such. As the first capital in the world, Copenhagen has the ambition to be completely carbon neutral by 2025, starting with a 20% reduction in CO2 just in the period 2005 to 2015. This is surely a great challenge. It comprises 50 specific initiatives within six focus areas. So let me mention a few highlights. The city of Copenhagen will meet 75% of combined CO2 reduction through upgrading its energy supply. This includes the construction of a new combined heat and power system based on renewable energy. It also includes to convert the 100% of coal consumption to biomass in the power plants. So that is the 75%. Then 10% of the CO2 reduction is found through greener transport. This includes a mix of new and improved bike park, green bike routes, bicycle and pedestrian bridges, and better bicycle parking. It also includes to extend our successful and accessible public transport system with buses, trains, and more metro. So what I was mentioning, uh, and I will just uh, I'll just state the last point. Uh, that was the 10% of uh, CO2 reduction is found through greener transport, or this includes a mix of new and improved bike park, green bike routes, bicycle and pedestrian bridges, and better bicycle parking. It also includes to extend our successful and accessible public transport system with buses, trains, and more metro. And we can go more in details afterwards if you like to. Another 10% is through more energy efficient buildings, both by giving incentives to retrofit existing buildings and set up clear rules and standards for low energy class buildings in new city areas. And then just 5% is reached by engaging Copenhageners and 1% is found through urban development schemes. The plan has proved to be a good guiding document and has not collected dust as words alone. Copenhagen is well on its way to the 2015 target. 97%, as was already mentioned, of all households in Copenhagen are provided with district heating. This is a very energy efficient way to produce heat, as heat from incineration of waste and the surplus heat produced from generating electricity is reused for heating instead of being ejected into the air. 
15% of the electricity used to light up the long Nordic nights is generated from windmills, thereby saving 76,000 tons of CO2 annually. Copenhagen also has one of the world's best waste management system. We have reduced 90% of all building waste and 70% of all household waste. We keep the water quality in a harbor suitable for swimming and we place wind turbines offshore. Over the next decade, a new, large, sustainable, carbon-neutral city district will emerge in a former industrial harbor area. As one of the world's most developed cities for bicycling, nearly 40% of our citizens ride a bike to and from work or school every day and at every time of the year, even when it snows. Copenhagen constantly works to improve the facilities for cyclists to make it both easier and safer to cycle in the city. Copenhagen is, for example, integrating the bicycling with other means of transport. A system of bicycling rental close to the railway station is being developed to make it easier to commute from the suburbs to the city in an easy way as an alternative to taking the car. New intelligent transport systems, which is now mostly used to guide traffic by car, is developed to make it safer and more convenient to bike in Copenhagen. We have now green lines for bikes in the rush hour because we have so many bikes that that is necessary. The goal is that in 2015, we want 50% of the Copenhageners to use their bike on a daily basis. I'm confident that we will get there already a couple of years before. These achievements make Copenhagen come out on top of the European Green City Index, published in December 2009. The index is conducted by the Economist Intelligence Unit and sponsored by Siemens. I am, of course, very proud of this and trust Copenhagen will stay on the green track with my fellow Social Democrat Frank Jensen as a new Lord Mayor. As a final topic before the discussion, I would like to highlight our overall way of seeing and planning Copenhagen. The guiding principle is that of quality of life. I'm very pleased that the Monocle magazine named Copenhagen the world's best city for quality of life. The idea is to combine economic growth with cultural and social well-being. We call this, you can have both. With that we mean you can have an interesting work life, but at the same time you can have a well-functioning family life. You can have a vibrant yet safe city. And you can have a green and climate-friendly city, yet a city which keeps a firm focus on the well-being of the citizens 
and visitors. Arnold Schwarzenegger was speaking, as you saw, at the Mayor's Summit and was asked what he himself did to cut CO2 emissions. He replied that he is now heating his jacuzzi with solar cells and are rebuilding his hummers to run on bio biofuels and electricity. <laughs> While it may be an extreme case, it illustrates two points that will conclude my speech here. That we all must and can act. And secondly, that a greener world can and should be achieved without compromising well-being and life quality of our citizens. Thank you.